Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow, and today I'm once again joined by my fellow Pounding the Rock writer, Damian Bartnick. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, brother. Thank you for having me. We're, we had to make a quick little, uh, quick little pit stop, you know. Saying we got to redo this whole joint, and I'm excited, man. I got more thoughts after the game last night, so let's do it. I'm excited too. And for those of you who are listening, we did have to scrap yesterday's podcast recording because of the Yaka Pertle health and safety protocols news. But we're back at it today. It's about what almost 2 p.m. Central Time. So let's go ahead and get started with San Antonio's most recent game against the Dallas Mavericks. What stood out to you about the matchup from last night? Uh, I'll start with, you know, just Keldon Johnson overall. Um, You know, he really struggled offensively. He had 16 points, and, you know, he had some strong finishes around the rim. But one thing that I really noticed, and it really kind of, I guess, I guess, I mean, we've always known this, but it was a little bit more emphasized yesterday, was, man, the tunnel vision on those drives to the basket really hurt them at times. Uh, even in times of transition, I remember there was one possession, I believe it was late in the fourth quarter, it, it's DeJounte, him, and Vassell. Vassell flares to the corner, he's open, and I believe Keldon just takes it, and I don't. he doesn't get a foul or anything. I know Spurs Twitter was clamoring for a foul there, they didn't call it. And, uh, you know, like, it's little op- little opportunities like that that, you know, this young team needs to cash in on. Uh, it's something that they'll learn, and I'm, I'm sure that they will. But uh, it, that's just one thing with Keldon that, I mean, I saw yesterday was just overall, while, yes, the 16 points is nice, there's still – it's kind of like we're seeing the same player in a sense, if that makes sense. I feel like there's not much development there offensively. Though we like the 16 points, I just wish we saw a little bit more from him. I agree with you to that point. I think Keldon Johnson is largely the same player he was a year ago. I think occasionally we see flashes of him, you know, the turnaround jumper off the glass, um, showing a little bit more touch in the paint. But overall, yeah, I'd say he's pretty much the same player. And recently he's really been struggling. He's averaging 11.6 points per game on 32-21-65 shooting splits over his last five games. Really, really bad. And, and you and I both know his bread and butter, and I know we say that a lot, you know, his bread and butter is getting to the rim. But right now he's only finishing 56.4% of his shots at the rim this season, 3% lower from a year ago. And it's also 7.2% lower than league average. That's not good. You know, for a guy who wants to get to the rim, wants to draw contact. And, and trust me, I admire him for that, right? Like, I, I like that he's driving hard. I like that he's trying to get contact. But like you said, it's a little reckless at times, you know, not always under control, doesn't always show the best touch, although I think he's shown some good touch on floaters in the paint, but not necessarily right at the rim. So that is one of the things that I also noticed here. Another thing that I sort of noticed from this game 
was how much they missed Yaka Pertle. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, the Spurs seriously missed Yaka Pertle. What were some of the things that stood out to you about his absence in last night's game? I mean, we know that, that Drew Eubanks isn't going to be the rebounder or the rim protector that Pirtle is, but there was little things. And there's one little – I know you're going to add to the big point here, but there's I'm going to point out one little thing that I saw. So it was late – I believe it was in the second quarter before the half. Drew Eubanks has the ball down in the paint. It was I, don't, I forgot what kind of shot. It, he missed the shot. It was a bad attempt. Uh, just an overall like, kind of poor final possession for the Spurs uh, right before the half. And um, he get, he goes – he misses the shot and then he fouls Jalen Brunson. I don't think Yakupertl is doing something little like that. You know, it's it's a little detail, it's a little thing, but something little like that, like that's just a small thing I noticed was like it was a frustration foul. And like while some people might be like, "Oh, you're petty for picking that out," that's one thing that I noticed that like really stuck out to me. Just because it, with Yakup stuff like that, it wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, and overall, like you could just tell like the inexperience is there with him. And I think that was like the main thing that I got from yesterday. I know we're not done here, but this overall with the inexperience, the youthfulness of this group really shined yesterday. And I felt like a little moment like that, you know, really kind of spoke to the little things that Jacoperto does that, you know, maybe we take for granted or little things that we don't really catch very often that these other guys, you know, they're going to show us in in his absence. Absolutely. And the Spurs gave up a season high 15 offensive rebounds, a season high 56 rebounds, and they surrendered 50 shots inside of the paint. So, you know, Dallas knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to get to the paint. They wanted to get to the rim. They were taking shots around that area. They weren't super successful, but it didn't really matter that much because they got so many second chance points. The Spurs gave up the second most second chance points they have all season. The other time coming against the Lakers, of course, they had to deal with Anthony Davis this time, but this time they dealt with a guy named Boban Marjanovic. And Look, I, I love Boban. He's a great guy. He's a fun player to watch out there. He's 7'3". He's just sort of, sort of running aloof out there. But he was effective. Like, when he came in the game, it changed the tone of everything. They were getting offensive rebounds. Uh, and he's not a great perimeter defender. Obviously, he's one of the worst perimeter defenders. The dude can't switch to save his life. He can't move laterally. But he did make a difference right at the rim. Like, he did deter the Spurs a little bit from getting to the rim. So... I just felt like, look, they're missing Jakob in terms of size. They're missing his rebounding. They're missing his rim protecting. And then you think about the other little things he does. He's a great screen setter. He's an excellent short roll passer. And so all those things together, it really piled on for the Spurs. And I think it could be a really tough stretch for them. And one of the other things I think we should talk about while we're still on the topic of of this Mavericks game, how about Drew and Thaddeus Young getting most of the center minutes, but we didn't see any Jock Landale. I I thought that was a little strange. Yeah, I did too. I didn't get that either. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought we were definitely going to see him, but we got none of that. I know Thad, Thad had a really an up and down night, uh, some really impressive stuff, you know, sometimes like in the half court, but he had a couple of turnovers, kind of like just just dumb turnovers that, you know, you wouldn't expect from a veteran like that. Uh, I know he's trying to, you know, kind of thread the needle a bit sometimes, but I don't know. Sometimes with with a, with a team like this, when you're playing the Mavericks, like I don't know if you can take those those uh, opportunities, those kind of those chances. But yeah, I was shocked that they didn't that we didn't see Jock. I was, I mean, even then, Eubanks and Thad, uh, like we're gonna read in my my Orlando Magic preview. You know, <laughs> you're gonna see you're gonna see like man, San Antonio really is, is gonna have to figure something out to really fill the void uh, after Pirtle's gone. And I, I don't. I mean, it, it was a rough night. It, it was a rough night, definitely, in the front court. Some Spurs fans said it was a bit depressing. The front court is now looking a little <laughs> bit depressing. I'm not going to go that far, but what, what I am going to say is, yeah, Pirtle's value to this team is 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 crazy. I mean, and now we're seeing it. 
And let's move on from something that's depressing to something that was really encouraging. Uh, Devin Vassell, again, had another really good game. I want to talk about Devin Vassell. He's continued to make strides really this entire season as a scorer. He's still playing that gritty defense, that stingy perimeter de uh, defense. And he's also blocking some shots at the rim. He looks really good on both ends of the court. I'm not saying he's a star or that he's a star in the making. But, man, he looked really good last night. What did you think of him? Yeah, Vassell looked fantastic last night. I just put on Twitter that Devin Vassell kid in the middle of the game because I was just like, man, give it up to him. Like, this this kid's balling. <laughs> um, off the dribble stuff looked cool, like in the in the short sense that we saw. The three-point shot looks good from the corner. I believe he made one uh, in the third quarter. That was a huge shot. Just overall, th this kid looks nice, man. I mean, he, he really, really does. And I know a lot of times I'm working a lot here at Pound of the Rock, working on my grammar and other words and stuff like that. But sometimes you just got to <laughs> draw it up to like this, man, the kick and hoop. The Duke can put the orange thing in the orange thing. And, uh, yeah, he, he looks solid offensively. I know you'll touch on his defense here in a second, but I was just, I'm was i happy, man. I, I, I love him. Yeah, Devin Vassell, we've talked about him before. He's one of my favorite guys to come through the Spurs system. I really wanted him in the draft. He was fourth on my big board. I was super ecstatic when they got him. And he's continued to make strides. And that's one of the things that I brought up during the offseason was like, look, I know that people probably, or not all, not all people, not all fans, but a good amount of people around the NBA were saying, okay, the Spurs made a mistake. They should have taken Tyrese Halliburton. And they ended up with Devin Vassell, and he just didn't have a good rookie year. And look at that. But you got to give these players time. You need two, three years before you know who they are. And now that he's had a full year in the system, he has more touches available to him. He's shown some offensive creation ability off the dribble, right? Like he's knocking down mid-range shots off the bounce. He's moving without the ball, too. He's shooting well from the corners. Not really shooting that well above the break from three. The rest of the Spurs really aren't doing that either. But I'm encouraged by what I've, what I've seen there. And on the perimeter, you know, he's not necessarily like a one-on-one -on -one stopper. And I think sometimes people get you know, defense confused for just man-to-man, -man, but as a team defender, you could argue one of the best in the league. He sees plays before they happen. They're breaking up passes in the passing lane, and he's poking balls free. I mean, I think he's a really good defender, a guy who maybe the Spurs not necessarily build around, but somebody who's part of that young core for years to come. Yeah, no, I agree. And another thing, too, that I said last night was I was jokingly like, oh, hashtag most valuable spur, hashtag playing 40 minutes a night, <laughs> you know, all that stupid stuff. And uh, but, but seriously, I do believe that they should increase his minutes, though, 100%. Uh, I know he gets about 25, what is it, 25 a night right now or 26 yeah. a night right now. He's a 30-minute a guy, a 30-minute uh, per game kind of guy, in my opinion. Uh, I believe his, his impact won't taper off there, despite you know the higher usage. I think he'll still be relatively impactful, or not relative. He's pretty impactful, <laughs> and uh, you know he'll continue to grow. So I like Devin Vassell for the Spurs team. I do, and I've told you this in private. I do think he's probably the most valuable Spur going forward, despite not being the best player. And yeah, man, I mean Devin Vassell looked looked good last night. It's very encouraging from this young group. Definitely. And, and another guy who's really looked pretty good, at least in my opinion, is DeJounte Murray. He's sort of been their de facto closer this year. We talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. And once again, last night, I thought he did a pretty good job of being the closer. Obviously, the Spurs didn't get the win. But one of the things that I have noticed with this team is they've sort of been happy to give DeJounte the ball late. And it doesn't seem like anybody else has really stepped up. I mean, if, if you look at some of the numbers, he leads the team with 44th quarter points. He leads them in fourth quarter field goal attempts. He leads them in clutch points. He leads them in clutch field goal attempts. And it's not close. Nobody else is close to him. The guys who are second, third, and fourth on that list, they're all shooting thirty below 30% or 40% rather from the field in the fourth quarter and in the clutch. So if those are your other guys who are you know supposed to be stepping up, Nobody else is, so I kind of find it hard to blame DeJounte for sort of having middling efficiency in the clutch and in the fourth quarter because, look, I think he's done a pretty good job there, but somebody else has to step up. 
Yeah, and I agree. And and another thing too that we've talked about um, in private as well is like overall this team doesn't have a lot of shot creation just in general. Uh, I think you know the isolation numbers kind of sh- show you that when they have set one of the lowest frequencies uh, in the league. But Dejounte's really emerged as that guy uh, as that kind of closer, like you mentioned. So I don't, I'm not really holding it against him that man he's he's taking tough shots. He's not making some of them. Like it kind of is what it is. You know what I mean? And, and you have to expect that when he's the only one that can really c- give you consistent offense. He's the most consistent offensive player in my opinion when it comes to off the drip off the dribble stuff. I don't I don't really hold it against him that he's struggling at times or that they fail to close out games because we knew their limitations coming into the year, and despite that, he's still shining in my opinion. Definitely, definitely. And since we're on the topic of the Mavericks, the Spurs also played them last Thursday. They walked away with a similar result, another close loss. Were there any major differences between this game and last game for you outside of Jakob not being there? And are you confident that they might pick up a win against Dallas this season, or do you think Dallas is coming away with a clean sweep in the in the season series? It's really interesting, Noah, because uh, in both of those games, Jalen Brunson, like I don't know if he owns a home in San Antonio, if I don't know if <laughs> if Coach Pop, I don't I don't know, but that that dude is, is is playing lights out against San Antonio this year so far. There's nothing really that that stuck out to me in a in a major way, although like they've defended Luca really well, and I feel like typically like San Antonio does defend you know Luca Doncic and those players like that relatively well. I, I think in general, sometimes these 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 losses like this. You can just chalk it up to being being a young team, man. Being inexperienced in both games, they had a chance to win. I mean, they they like they have a twenty three to three lead in the first game. They end up losing it. The second game, they got up to what a ten or twelve point lead. Uh, yeah. And what was it? Late third, early early fourth quarter. It's 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 little things like that, growing pains like this that you're gonna have to go through when you have a young team like this. But when it comes to like a major difference, I, I don't I don't really think so. I think uh, we're, they're kind of in the same spot. But that's not a bad thing. They're a young team. Like let's let's take a breath and let's calm down. Yeah. No, I think that they've played the Mavericks pretty well, but I'm also pretty confident that the Mavericks are going to end up sweeping the season series. Uh, and uh, that's not because the Spurs are bad, but if you look at these games, the both games they were missing a guy in in uh Chris Stapp's Porzingis who, you know, when he's healthy, he's an all-star caliber player. Uh, he's owned San Antonio over the last three outings. The last time he's met with San Antonio, the last three times specifically, the guy has averaged 27 points and 12 rebounds per game on 58% from the field, 44% from three, and 92% from the line. They just don't have anybody who can stop him. Like, like they don't have anybody who can stop him. Love Jakob. Even if Jakob's healthy, that's a mismatch for Jakob. You know, Chris Stapps is a little bit more, more mobile. He's a guy who can shoot the three ball, stretch out the offense, so... I just don't see them being able to beat the Mavericks if Porzingis comes back and is healthy. And the other guy who was missing last game, Maxi Kleber, had six blocks in the first game between these two. Really underrated defender, good three-point shooter, one of the staples of that Mavericks team. So, look, if the Spurs are going to be playing those guys even healthy, I just I just don't see them picking up a win. And, and also, let's talk about Luka Doncic. Like, I understand that the Spurs played him pretty well. But in my opinion, I thought a lot of his shots that he missed weren't necessarily because DeJounte or Derek or, or Keldon did anything special. Luka was forcing stuff last night. He was forcing stuff off the dribble way deep from three. He was taking shots with a hand in his face, shots that you probably shouldn't be taking. And, and yeah, DeJounte forced him into two air balls, but those are also just terrible shot selection from a guy like Luka, and he struggled this season. It's not just the Spurs. It's not like only the Spurs have locked him down. Like, his numbers are down across the board. His efficiency is way down. His assists are down. He's in a new system under Jason Kidd, who 
honestly, I don't think is a very good coach. Not really sure why he's there in, in, in Dallas. Um, clearly, you know, the, you can say a lot of, about him as a person, but as a coach, <laughs> it's bad too. It's, it's not good so far. So we'll see what they can do there. But I'm just not super confident that the Spurs are going to be able to pick up a win against a healthy Mavericks team, especially once they sort of hit their groove, find their rhythm, because I think the Mavs are a playoff team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and kind of the, uh, on your point about Luka, yes, Luka did take some bad shots, and it's typical. I mean, he does do that a couple times a game, uh, but you live with it. So from that perspective, I'm not going to give them the Spurs all their credit, but I am going to give them enough credit to know that, hey, at least they're forcing a great player like this into these bad shots. And if he's going to take them, let him. You live with it. You're happy with it. Like, let's move on. You know what I mean? Like, I think you eat, I think you eat those uh, regardless. But uh, one more thing, too, with the Mavericks and just overall kind of how these teams are built, it seems like like front courts that have a lot of bit, a little bit of versatility to them, whether it's like a Porzingis and Cleaver, guys that can shoot, maybe uh, go off the dribble a little bit. Even the Pacers, they have a guy like Miles Turner who can, you know, shoot the three ball a bit. Someone like Sabonis, who's really kind of, I, I believe, an underrated athlete and within like, you know, 10 to 12 feet. Uh, it seems like those teams are going to give the Spurs some issues this year, especially without Jakob. I think it's going to get a little bit worse. That's just my opinion. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But I just think overall, especially without Jakob, I mean, I, I don't think we can expect you know the, the Spurs to do well with against these front courts like this with Drew and Thad Young defending them and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think that the Spurs have a lot of good like individual defenders in terms of guys who are like post defenders. Like you look at Sabonis, even when Jakob was healthy in there, he's having his way with Jakob. Like Jakob is a great rim protector. He's going to stop people from, you know, when they come to the rim, he's going to challenge them and he's probably going to win that battle most of the time. But one on one against a guy like Sabonis, a little crafty, uh, you know, a guy like Porzingis who can stretch him out, make him you know, go all the way to the three-point line and then potentially blow by him after he throws a pump fake or two. I just don't see any of the Spurs defenders being much better than someone like Pirtle, right? Like, you throw out Eubanks, he's even smaller than Pirtle. I think he has the same sort of limitations. He's a little bit of a better athlete, I think, but he's not stopping Sabonis. He's not stopping a guy like Jokic. And, and to be fair, most guys aren't going to stop those guys. There's a reason that they're superstars. They're all-stars. But at the end of the day, I think the Spurs are pretty limited. Like, even when Zach Collins comes back, not sure how much he brings on that end that he's going to be like that one-on-one -on -one stopper against a post player who's really dominant. And you look at Thaddeus Young, undersized, not really a five. He can play some small ball five. And then who else do we have on the roster? Jock Landale, again, just sort of similar limitations that Jakob has. So not super confident in them stopping big guys. And and so we've already sort of talked about these, these Mavericks games. We talked about the matchups, but they also went one and four. This whole, you know, week, I guess, or since the last time that we recorded, they played the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Bucks, the Pacers. And uh, I want to sort of talk about some of the things that stuck out to us over that stretch, starting with, I think, my first observation is, you know, what what's up with Lonnie Walker? I'm not going to say that he's playing horribly. I think he has been impactful in other ways, even though he's not really shooting the ball well, but... I think you need more from him. Yeah, it's. it's I love that you started there because I was literally about to start there. If you were to kick it to me, that was the first thing I was going to discuss. Was just <laughs> overall like, so Lonnie Walker. One thing that I that I really thought about uh, when it comes to him this year was, I understood the the. I know a lot of people get caught up with like points, rebounds, assists, you know, shooting splits, and those are you know important, of course. But the one thing I was really looking forward to is. Can he carve out a role, a play style offensively that really suits him and fits him? I mean, the pick and roll ball handler stuff looks really, really good to start. So that's encouraging. But I agree. It's it's almost like that's kind of like what you've expected or from him, you know, throughout his career is it's like he has all the tools or he has all this, that, and the third, but he just struggles to put it all together. 
And I think right now it, it it's still kind of the same old, same old right now. There he has really good moments, really good flashes, whether it's out of the pick and roll or you know he's uber athletic, so he can you know go to get to the basket and make a a sweet uh, uh, dish out of the driving kick and stuff like that. But it, yeah, like you said, it's like you want more, and I don't I don't really know why we don't get all of that. I mean, it could be. I mean, I can't say it's because of, you know, lack of opportunity because he's, you know, I believe he's one of the highest hugest players off the bench, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I just don't really know what it is right now, but it's kind of like the story of his career so far as like, you know, he has the tools, but it's all about putting it together. Yeah. And he sort of disappears at times. Like I did. And, and not to completely go back to the Mavericks game last night. And the thing that I'll remember from last night is that he hit a big three that really brought San Antonio with an appointment. It's like, okay, he hit a big shot. And he had, I think, what, six assists, something like that. He had a lot of assists last night. But it didn't really feel like he was on the floor. But somehow he played like 25, 26 minutes. He just disappears. He seems almost just there. Sometimes he's just a guy who's there. And so while I like the assists, I like that he seems to have taken a few strides defensively. I think they need more out of Lonnie Walker, and I'm not sure how they get that. Again, like this week, he averaged 6.3 points per game, 29.2% shooting, and you know, I just don't know. Like, if he's going to be wishy-washy, and not in terms of, like, wanting to show up, but, you know, producing. If he's not going to produce consistently, it's hard to argue that, you know, maybe someone like Devin Vassell shouldn't be getting even more minutes. Uh, you know, I'm sure people will even argue, you know, throw Josh Primo in there. I'm sure we'll hear that if, if Lonnie doesn't, you know, produce for the rest of the season. But you look at his numbers, they're pretty much roughly what he did last year, but his assists went up a little bit, and his turnovers went up just a little bit, too. So, I don't know. I was expecting a little bit more from Lonnie, and I don't want to harp on him too much. I do think that he could be, uh, you know, a little bit better than he's been thus far. But I also want to talk about Trey Jones and Thaddeus Young and Jock Landale not really getting minutes. What are your thoughts on that? So Thad Young, I like the fact that we saw him for, I believe it was 22 minutes last night, not to, you know, go back to the game, but I did like that. I did like what he showed against the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, 10-8-6, I believe, or 10-8-3 or something like that. That's encouraging. I mean, he's getting more minutes, which is encouraging in my opinion, especially now with Yakabout. I would expect him to play uh, significantly more. Trey Jones, we we talked about this yesterday on the pod, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Noah, I had this in my notes. So for all the listeners, I had this in my notes literally for our first episode. I said, I was like, yo... San Antonio needs that, like that pass first, like the initiator that, whether it's a guard, a forward, whatever, they need that guy that can really, you know, just distribute the basketball, uh, create for himself a little bit, but primarily for others. And I felt like Trey Jones could have been that guy, or he can be that guy rather. Like, I, I really, I'm a believer in him and what he can do. But it is pretty shocking that we haven't seen him. And Jock Lindell, I mean, last night especially, like no Yaka Pertle, you would expect, you know, he's gonna get just, even if it's eight minutes, ten minutes, something like that. And we didn't see him. So uh, it's a little weird. I know Pop is probably tinkering with the rotations. And it's, dude, we're so early in the year. There's no way, you know, you can come to the conclusion that Pop is washed, like some people think, or something crazy like that. But uh, yeah, it's, you, you definitely, you're definitely encouraged because Thad Young played. I saw Trey Jones a little bit out there last night, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I think we're, we're, we're starting to be encouraged because we're seeing these guys out there more often. But we still want to see Jock. We want to see Jock out there. Yeah, we want to see Jock out there, and one of the man, it's I don't I don't want to sound bad here. Let me let me think of a different way to phrase this. Pop, I think, can be really stubborn, right? Yes. A reporter asked him during the press conference yesterday. You know, what did he think about Jock Landale and, and his ten points in five minutes? You know, is he going to play him tonight? And he said that he's not going to make evaluations based on essentially garbage time. That doesn't matter to him. He missed the training camp. Uh, he missed training camp. 
Um, you know, he missed a lot of time during the preseason. You know, and until he catches up, he's not really going to be concerned with working Jock Landale into the rotation. And I just think at this point, you can't really afford to think that way. You got to find because look, we know that the Spurs aren't a great team. I expected them to lose quite a few games this year, but we know that the Spurs are trying to win games. And if you're trying to win games, you're going to switch things up. And I know it was the first start for Drew, Drew Eubanks. I'm not saying kick him out of the starting lineup or out of the rotation or anything, but he really hasn't been very good this season. So what is the harm if a guy is struggling and he's in foul trouble or he's not shooting well? Just throwing Jock Landale out there. I just, I don't really understand it. Of course, it's not up to me at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> Pop is the guy who's going to make that decision, but I do think they should shake it up. And one of the other things that sort of bothered me from what I've seen is, look, Trey Jones is getting minutes here and there now, but I think the way that they're utilizing him is just wrong. He's been mostly off ball. He's done a pretty good job there. He's been cutting. He's had a, a few backdoor cuts for some easy buckets, some nice passes from Thaddeus Young, showed some chemistry there. But what is he doing off ball? He should be running an offense. If he's out there... He needs the ball in his hands. That's where he's most effective. He showed that in summer league. He showed that in the preseason. He showed that even, or not in the preseason rather, but he showed that in um, the G League last year. And so I'm just not really sure what are you, what what they're doing with Trey Jones at the moment. Maybe that changes a little bit as the season goes on. But look, he also needs to shoot threes. I'm not going to say oh he needs all these minutes or he needs all these shots. Like if he's open and he and he has a three there, he's got to shoot it. So far he hasn't really been will, willing to do that, but. We'll see what happens with them. There's still a full season left, but if we know anything, Pop can be a little bit stubborn. We saw it with Marco Bellinelli at one point, and, and then Lonnie wasn't getting those minutes right. <laughs> we saw it with a yep. guy like Demar Carroll who wasn't playing, even though they, you know, they paid him the fifth most money on the team over the offseason. So there's always going to be a guy who feels like he's left out of the rotation, or fans feel like they're left out of the rotation, and you know, it's up to pop. So I'm going to try not to criticize him too much here, but I do think it would be nice to see those guys not just have minutes, but also be playing in roles that are conducive to their success. Yeah, I agree 100%. And and I guess as we sort of move on here, I did want to sort of be positive. I don't want this all to be like negative. I know the Spurs <laughs> are losing a lot. I know that, that fans aren't happy about a 2-6 and six record, which, by the way, the worst start in, in Spurs franchise history um, outside of the 96-97 season where they ended up getting that number one pick for Duncan. So, I don't know. Maybe there's some luck yeah, there. I, I won't yeah, go that yeah. far yet. Yeah, throw it's that into the universe, early, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too early for that. But I do want to stay positive here and say, look, even though they faced the shorthanded Milwaukee Bucks last week, they still came away with a win. How impressed were you by that? And, and can we look into that at all? Like, I like I see, we just recorded this yesterday, so I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I know exactly what I know exactly what to say here. Just like in general, I think I think overall, you're not going to come away from that victory saying, man, the Spurs are going to be a playoff team. Man, the Spurs are, gonna, are a playing team. I don't think you walk away like that or you look into it like that, but you are encouraged because it's a young group playing up to competition. Yes, we know that Drew Holiday wasn't there uh, and other starters as well. But at least they won. They played up to their competition. They it was on the road, and I mean, you saw some bright flashes there as well, like Dejounte Murray hitting a three late. You know, overall they had a relatively good game against Giannis as well. Like from the, from a young group like this, you take little victories in that, despite you know them missing a starter or two. You know what I mean? So I th I thought it was impressive. Now I'm not going to go around saying like, man, San Antonio better go for it and try to trade for all these people to try to win it all. But what I am saying is that it's an encouraging win, it's an encouraging sign. And like I said all the like I say all the time people, they're young. So let's let's just be patient, let's be calm and let's take every game uh you know in itself. And taking it one game at a time is really important. And I, and I do think to a certain degree it's like yes, they did win 
Uh, the Bucks were without Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis. And so they were missing a lot of pieces. But the fact that the Spurs didn't go out there and go, OK, this is an automatic win because they're down all these pieces. They came out. They were competitive. They actually closed a game for once, which, of course, they struggled to do against the Mavericks a night ago. But, you know, it's one step at a time. You know, they're going to win some late. And that's how they, they, they learn. And they're going to lose some late. And they're going to learn from that, too. So I'm happy with what I've seen from him in that regard. Uh, I just wanted to sort of touch on one thing from this last week before we sort of move on to, to the next couple of topics. How about DeJounte Murray? You know, he averaged about 21, 8, and 9 on 49, 46, 65 shooting splits over his last five games. It kind of seems like he's starting to potentially take that next leap. Do you believe in him being an all-star caliber player? Do you think he is a star caliber player? Or is this a product of just increased touches, increased shots? Like, what is your opinion of DeJounte Murray right now? So I'm encouraged when it comes to DeJounte Murray. There's the word again, encouraged, right? I said it like a hundred times. But yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm encouraged with what DeJounte showed us uh, when it comes to like, you know, 21 points, 49, 46, 65. The 65 I'm a little bit worried about, but the 49, 46 is nice. The nine assists, I don't believe he's a nine assist kind of guy. Like in terms of like Chris Paul is like 18 and eight, 18 and nine. And I don't believe all assists are created equal. So I don't, I'm not buying into that aspect, but I am buying into the aspect that he can be a consistent scorer. Uh, I like, you know, the pull-up mid-range stuff. I've always kind of liked it. I, I believe you've mentioned, too, that he's become an, uh, a better finisher this year. So I'm buying those aspects of his game. When it comes to stardom or all-star, we got to remember, folks, like John Morant, Shai Godis-Alexander, you know, De'Aaron Fox play his position, and they weren't all-stars last year. And I don't believe he's better than those guys. You know what I mean? So I'm not buying the leap into all-star or stardom just yet. But, again, I'm encouraged, folks. So, I mean, that's what you can do. Like, I, I think with DeJounte right now, there's there's no reason to look you know further into this. Just take every game you know one by one, and we're seeing him develop. Even as a closer, stuff like that's going to be huge for his development. If you believe he can be that guy, it's going to pay dividends. So yeah, I would be encouraged. I'm not saying he's he's a superstar right now, but I am saying that you know he's he's taking steps in the right direction. Let me ask you this then: Do you think he's a better yeah. defender than Shea Gilgis Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, yes. John Morant? Right. So. I think a lot of times we discount somebody's defensive impact. Like, I really do believe that he's probably, you know, top four, top five defensive point guard, maybe in the NBA. Like, he's really that dude on the sure. defensive end. And he's made strides offensively. And obviously, you know, you're not just making all-star teams as a defender unless you're a guy like, you know, Ben Wallace or Draymond Green yeah. or uh, even someone like Rudy Gobert. But... I do think that he is sort of inching his way into that all-star territory, and you're right. Like, he's not better than those guys, in my opinion, that we've already talked about, but he has made strides. Now, one of the things that you said that was really interesting to me is not all assists are created equal, and I, and I firmly believe that. I agree with you 100%. You look at what he does versus a guy like Luka Doncic. We'll even go back to the Mavericks game here. I know that Luka finished with fewer assists than DeJounte, and I know he finished with more turnovers than DeJounte. But you look at the way in which they pass the ball. Most of DeJounte's assists are off pretty basic reads. He sees the guys open, or maybe he finds a secondary read. He's not really passing teammates open. He doesn't see things before they happen. He's not making passes that, like, really wow you. Now, has he taken strides in that area? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, nine assists per game on two turnovers per game. That's great. But I don't think he's a transcendent passer. I think this is more of a, a, a product of how the team is running everything through DeJounte and how much they move off ball, how much they have guys who are willing to move off ball. So I don't know about DeJounte being a guy who, you know, if even if he does finish the season with nine assists per game to two turnovers, I don't know if you still consider him 
an elite passer. I think he does the job that he's asked to do, and he does it at a really high level. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be too down on DeJounte. I really like him, but he, he just is not a Luka Doncic. He's not a Chris Paul. He's not a Trey Young, and that's okay. We don't need him to be that right now. And honestly, if he the best he ever becomes is a number two, I think that's pretty good for a guy who went 29th overall in a draft where – you know, you could argue, and I don't want to start this all over again, but <laughs> you could argue that he brings similar value to someone like Ben Simmons, who went first in his draft. Now, I, I still think Ben Simmons is a better defender, a better passer, but you could argue that they have a similar impact. Yeah, sure, 100%. And another thing, too, with DeJounte is if he's really good in this role, that's awesome. That works for you. Like, he does not need to be, like, I don't understand some people. Like, I understand some fans, but I don't understand why everyone has to be, like, a super megastar or else they're not good. Like, nah, man, this works for him. This works within the system. Like, you take that all day. And like you mentioned, 29th pick in the draft. He gets paid, what, 15, 16 million per season? Like, yeah, you take that all day value-wise on the floor. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I think I think DeJounte's fine, and I think everyone should be encouraged with what he's shown so far. Absolutely. And now I sort of saved these last couple of topics for later in the podcast, but I'm really excited to talk about them. But we'll go ahead and start with the more pressing news between the two. So the Spurs called up rookie Josh Primo and Joe Wieskamp before the Mavericks game. Neither of them played. I don't think that was all that you know surprising or shocking or anything like that. And they already sent him back down to the Austin Spurs earlier today. Is that the right move in your mind? And you know, when do you think Spurs fans will or rather maybe should see their first taste of Primo with the big league club? It's so crazy because so we talked about this and we said like, yeah, they're going to, you know, go, you know, play or be on the bench tonight. They're not going to play. They're just going to they're just really going to watch. They're going to just be bystanders on the bench and just see how it all works. And now it's funny because that's literally what happened. They literally were there. They're bystanders for a night and they go back to Austin. So I think it was it was cool from that perspective, and shout out to you, bro, because you really put me onto that. I was a little bit confused when I when I heard the news yesterday, uh, but yeah, that makes total sense now. That, you know that they're basically they're just kind of understanding the feel of of how an NBA game works, what happens, you know, all the preparation that leads up to it, that happens after, during, like. I thought it was it, it was a it's a really smart move. It's a veteran kind of veteran organization kind of move. And while like I'm I, this doesn't mean Josh Primo is going to average forty in the G League. I do like little things like that. They're just acclimating their young players to you know the big leagues eventually because they're going to be there. Absolutely. And, and then you're looking at it in the Austin Spurs. They have their first game tomorrow. This podcast is going to come out on Friday, so I should say today. But <laughs> on Friday, they're going to have their first game against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in Edinburgh, Texas, not too far away from San Antonio. So th they were able to take them down for a game, you know, say, hey, this is what it's like to be on an NBA bench. And I don't think a lot of people realize how much goes into being an NBA player. It's not just going on the court, but it's it's getting to know your teammates. It's building a relationship with the referees, whether we want to say that or not. You've got to build relationships with those referees, with the officials. If you ever hear them mic'd up, they're constantly talking to the officials, and it's not always about calls. Sometimes it's about, you know, how's life at home? What's going on? What have you been doing? So just getting an understanding of everything that goes into being a professional, whether it be in the weight room, the pregame prep, the shoot-around, all of that stuff, that's really huge for them. But their first game is going to be here on the 5th. Very excited for that. I don't know what it's going to look like. I have a feeling that Josh Primo is probably going to play pretty well. Joe Wieskamp, yet to be seen whether he can be super impactful. Wasn't particularly good during the summer league. Didn't really do much during the preseason. But, hey, he's a rookie. you got to be patient with him as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, yeah, they're going to be down there in the Valley over there in Edinburgh. So hopefully they can bring a dub <laughs> home all the way back to San Antonio. 
or to Austin. I'm sorry, to Austin. Look at me. I'm messing up. Or technically <laughs> to Cedar Park because they play in Cedar Park. But, hey, don't be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> and now let's let's actually get into the like the serious issue, the thing that's really pressing yes. right now. Yes. San Antonio's Fiesta jerseys. What do you think about the 2021-2022 City Edition threads? And are you going to cop one when they drop on November 15th? Okay, I'm not buying a jersey because, as some of y'all know, I'm on this weight loss <laughs> journey, and I'm too. Uh, unfortunately, I'm too heavy for basketball jerseys. I just feel like they don't look good on me. Not yet, at least. Eventually, yes, but not right now. As far as you know, the actual jerseys, though, I thought they were dope. Everything was dope until I see the the new the new look Spurs, you know, uh, logo right on the chest. And I'm not gonna lie, guys, y'all might hate me for this, but I hate that new logo. I think it looks terrible. And the fact that they put that the silver and black on a on a ne on a neon teal pink and orange jersey with white and just put silver and black just threw it on the chest. I hated it. It it, it ruined the jersey for me because I love the numbers on the back and I love just overall how it looks. Besides that, but it's so it's such a big portion of the jersey, man. You can't escape it. So. Wasn't feeling the jersey too much. Like the shorts, though. I was telling Noah yesterday, if they're 7-inch inseam shorts, <laughs> I'm copping. You know, skies out, thighs out. So, yeah, I'm definitely with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, those shorts are really sick. I really want some. I don't think I'm actually going to end up getting the shorts. I probably want the jersey. And I'm kind of on board with you here that, like, look, they're not the best jersey. I think if I had to give it a number, of, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, probably a 7. I think they did a really good job if they were trying to execute what Nike was trying to do right. Nike was coming out. They want to have sort of a mixtape idea where you're paying tribute to every part of the organization's history. But part of me goes, you know, forget that. You get rid of the spurs across the chest. You just put, you know, maybe the 70s, 80s. San Antonio across the chest, just a normal looking number. Cause I did think it was a little bit overkill to have the, the teal pink sort of number. I don't think it looks great. Yeah. But overall, I think that they did do a, a, a pretty good job. They had some really nice little touches on there, like the ABA logo on the shorts, the Dallas logo, uh, the Dallas Chaparral's logo rather from their ABA, you know, origins. They had the Fiesta colors, which, you know, everybody loves those. We haven't seen a white Fiesta Jersey. So you know, I, I was loving that as well. And then the last thing that I thought was sort of a cool, you know, callback to the George, you know, uh, the George Gervin era were the diamonds on the shorts. So I thought yeah. overall, good job. But it did leave like a little bit to be desired. 100%. Like last year it was better. Let's be honest. Yeah. Last year's was better. But that's okay. Probably still going to get the jersey. I know I just said it wasn't perfect and that there are a lot of things I would have <laughs> changed about it. But I, I want one. They're a collectible. There's something that you can sort of hang on to for the rest of your life. So, hey. I want the Primo one. You know, is he going to be a star, a superstar, all-star? I don't know. But he's the rookie that they picked this year. He's been smooth in the games that he has played in. And I just want to I want to rep his name. He just, he's smooth. Yeah, 100%. And if they drop a little white long sleeve, I don't know if they're dropping a white long sleeve. I'll cop the long sleeve and the shorts. Seven-inch inseams, we're good to go, man. It's a fit. I'll be happy <laughs> with it. It has to be seven-inch inseams, everyone, because the nine-inch, they cover the knees. It doesn't look the same, man. You got to have the, you got to have the <laughs> knees showing, man. <laughs> I feel you honestly not to get off topic too much but like this summer I got really into wearing like the five inch shorts uh -huh. and, I, and I never had like I always wore shorts that were like either right at the knees or or like covering my knees but this summer I was like you know what I'm gonna try something different I just want to and now I can't stop 
Yeah. Like it's starting to get cold and I'm like, oh man, I got to put those shorts away now. Yeah. So I feel that if they have some good looking shorts, you know, I'm going to roll them up at the waistband. I'm going to make them shorter than they probably should, you know, yeah. normally be, but I'm going to rock them. Yeah. Like I want those shorts. The shorts look good. I, again, I don't know if I'm going to buy them. I don't know if I can afford to buy the shorts and the jersey. We'll see what happens. Maybe someone will give me a Christmas present or something. <laughs> but uh, but we'll, we'll sort of get back into the basketball talk. So as we start wrapping things up, we're going to do the segment where we talk about three numbers that really stood out to us. So um, if you want to go first, let me know. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and throw my first one out there. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the with the first one about basically how the Spurs, they sit 28th in the league uh, with 16.6 free throw attempts per game, and they only make 67.7% of their free throws, which is the worst in the NBA. I think for me, one thing that really makes that interesting is how we've talked about how they don't really have a lot of shot creators in general, and a part of that is also the ability to draw fouls. And one thing that, you know, uh, expert DeMar DeRozan was good at was just drawing fouls, drawing contact. And uh, at times that really helped them, you know, stop runs that we've seen. free everyone they're free if you make your free throws that could that could turn the game a little bit too three four five points here or there that you didn't have before and other games and who knows what the outcome is so yeah I, I i really want them to improve here i mean i think it would be big for them as well but you got they just got to learn how to draw contact and they have guys who can get to the rim lonnie walker can do that Dejounte murray can do that i have questions maybe about you know Derek white's you know quick burst and stuff like that but i think devin vassell can get to the line too like I think these guys can, but it all goes down to actually making them at the end of the day. It's tough because you look at this roster right now. Keldon leads the team with 3.8 free throw attempts per game. If you had to guess, where do you think that ranks among NBA players? In the in like the 160s probably. Okay, it's not that bad. It ranks 47th okay. overall. It's actually oh, right okay, ahead okay, of okay, LeBron okay, okay. James. If you can believe that, it's right ahead of LeBron. <laughs> but that's still not good, right? Like 47th, that means basically every team has a guy who – is their leading free throw guy, and then they have a few other guys who are second on their team who are still getting to the line at a higher rate than your best free throw shooter or the guy who's best at getting to the line because, honestly, Keldon hasn't shot well from the line. DeJounte hasn't shot well from the line. Like you mentioned, they are 28th in free throw rate in their last in free throw percentage. So if you're already struggling getting there and you can't even knock them down when you get there, it's going to be really tough, and I just don't know how you adjust because you look at DeJounte, yes, he can get to the rim. Lonnie can get to the rim. Devin, not really. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He hasn't really shown the ability to get to the rim. But when they do get to the rim, they're not interested in taking contact. They're avoiding contact. They're skying and adjusting. They're, you know, doing almost everything in their power to not get touched and finish. And so sometimes not only do they make the finish harder for themselves, but they also stop themselves from drawing contact. And that's just tough. I don't know if you can teach that. I'm not really somebody who thinks you can. Because we've seen DeJounte do it year after year after year. We've seen the same thing from Lonnie year after year after year. And a guy like Keldon, he embraces contact. He's looking for it every single time. Sometimes he's a little bit reckless. But I think, honestly, I'd rather have him be reckless and just trying to draw contact than not draw contact at all. Because honestly, without Keldon, Spurs are probably dead last in free throw rate. And they're probably that you know dead last by a lot. So we'll see how they can improve. I'm not sure how they improve. And... For me, the next thing is San Antonio being the best corner three-point shooting team in the league, 55.1% on seven attempts. 
but they're the fourth worst team above the break, 28.4% on 22.9 attempts. Let me ask you, how do they capitalize on the corner three? How do they get that more involved on their game plan? And does the return of Doug McDermott really do much for them? Does it move the needle as a three-point shooting team as a whole? It's funny because capitalizing on the corner three, a lot of those looks, especially yesterday, I felt like I know Vassell had a couple threes. These, there, a lot of them are just in rhythm. I mean, that's really what it is. Especially when they're on, when they're on the break, they can do that and flirt of the corners and and hit a three, and it's going to be open. Especially considering they're what the third best transition offense. We'll, we'll talk about it later as well. But especially stuff like that in transition, you can make that happen. Whether it's the the you know the corner preferably, but even from you know from from the wings or whatever it may be. That's still possible. It's just all about just just actually making the shot because they're really good in transition. We know this, but they just got to cash in on at every opportunity, especially when they're open. But in the half court too, with like I mentioned with Devin Vassell yesterday specifically, man, they're getting rhythm looks. So that's good. Maybe that's a sign that they kind of need to scheme a little bit a little bit more things up like that, especially on the wing. But uh, yeah, I really want to hear what you have to say about them being re- relatively bad above the break. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, they were bad above the break last season, too. Uh, they were near the very bottom of the league. I want to say, looking at the numbers here, they finished 27th in, in three-point percentage above the break. They also finished 26th in volume there. So they really haven't been a good above-the-break shooting team in a few years now, and I don't know that you get a lot better. Lonnie takes a ton of them, but he's not making very many of them. Devin Vassell's taking a decent volume, but he's also not making hardly any. The only guy on the roster who is shooting above 40% right now, or honestly even above 35%, it's Doug McDermott. That's it. The guy who's second place, Brent Forbes, not super surprising. I also expect that percentage to go up for him, but for now, he's sitting at about 35%. Doug's sitting at about 43%. And the rest of the team, I just don't know that they're naturally good shooters like I know DeJounte has taken some strides in that area but even he's not shooting that well above the break and I think last night what he hit two threes but it ended up being on seven attempts yeah like it's just it's going to be really tough for the Spurs if they're not looking for corner threes and I don't know how you generate that outside of maybe some drive and kick opportunities I don't know you know I'm not an X's and O's mastermind I'm not going to tell Pop how to run the offense but it feels (laughs) like they should be trying to figure out ways to get more corner threes because even though they're the number one percentage team for corner threes right now they're sort of middle of the pack sort of the bottom third if you want to say in volume from that range so you know maybe finding a way to to implement that more I don't know how you do it but it feels like they definitely should be looking to do that do you know where the Lakers rank in that stat the only reason threes yes if you can look that up and the only reason why i mention that is because i know if let's say they are they rank relatively high i mean this if they don't then this my theory means nothing but i know a lot of times driving kick opportunities with lebron or russ a lot of times they are dishing to the corner and if those teams are then maybe more driving kick opportunities could do that you know what i mean maybe it could open the door in that way uh, to get more of those corner, corner threes but i don't know if the lakers aren't then my theory is dumb <laughs> but that's just something that i thought that's something that I thought about because, yeah, I mean, we've seen LeBron do this millions and millions of times. And, I, I mean, we especially to the corners. but Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not seeing it right now or, like, my internet's acting up. So it's going to be a little bit slow. If I had to guess, it's probably not good for them right now. I know the Lakers aren't shooting the three ball that well. But, honestly, a lot of the teams aren't. And I don't know if it's uh, the new ball or the, the rule changes a little bit or, you know, everybody's a little rusty at the start of the season because it does feel like a lot of times at the beginning of seasons, all those, you know, big stats 
accounts are like, oh, you know, it's the lowest points per game or, oh, it's yeah. the lowest shooting percentage or it's the lowest blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, but it's also like eight games into the season. So, you know, anything could change. And again, like the same thing applies to the Spurs. Like a lot of lot could change for the Spurs, but just from what I've seen from the Spurs, it doesn't really seem like they have the personnel to shoot more threes. And, oh, man, I mean, looking at the roster – You've got Bryn Forbes. You got Doug McDermott. We talked about them. They're really the only true sharpshooters on the team, and and Bryn's starting to lose a spot in the rotation a little bit. He didn't really play that much a night ago. Uh, he was a big factor in that first Mavericks game, and he probably saved them from a blowout. But the, the rest of the team, there really aren't bona fide shooters. I, I know that Devin can get hot, Lonnie can get hot, but those guys are also streaky. Yeah, and and that's one thing too that I think with the emergence of Primo and hopefully Wiz Camp next year too. Both of those guys are, are at least Primo for sure is NBA ready shooter. I think Wiz Camp too, like you've mentioned before, Noah, like how you think uh, Wiz Camp's uh, release needs to speed up a little bit and stuff like that. But these guys are natural shooters, so maybe that's one thing that San Antonio realized that they needed. And even though they're not going to contribute this year, we're, we're we're looking at the long term plan here, and they got two guys who can really contribute like that immediately. Definitely. I mean, I'm hoping that's something that they're able to do eventually. Uh, I think that Josh Primo can definitely shoot. I mean, he's a guy who was operating off ball. He knows how to move without the ball. He knows how to cut to get to his spots, how to relocate, all that good stuff. And his shot prep is really good. I mean, his butt is low. His hands are out. Um, he's squared to the basket. There's really almost nothing wrong with Primo as a shooter. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Again, Joe Wieskamp probably does need to speed up the shot a little bit, but... I'm just not sure that they're going to get into the into the lineup that much this year. You know, if that makes sense, I'm just not sure how much they're going to play, if they're going to make a difference really in that aspect either. We'll see. That's yet to be seen. Let's sort of move on to the, uh, the last point here. Uh, per synergy, the Spurs have the third best transition offense, 1.2 points per possession. Uh, 10th worst half-court offense, 0.9 points per possession. Does that shock you at all, or is this sort of what you expected from the Spurs team? I figured the half court offense was going to be relatively, you know, towards the bottom of the league, uh, just because, like we've mentioned before, they have really kind of glaring needs offensively, whether it's shot creation, uh, just as you know, scoring, passing, kind of everything in general off the bounce they were going to struggle with. That's one thing that I kind of always thought was going to be a, an issue for them this year. The transition offense, though, I'm not very surprised either because they have a lot of guys who can just get out and run flat out they have athletes on this team that like we've mentioned before they can get to the basket although they avoid contact uh, they can still get to the basket I know they like to get out and run as well one thing it seems like I would like to see them do is considering they have such a good transition offense I wish they had some better pull-up shooting numbers some better pull-up shooters in general to really cash in on those opportunities but yeah I'm not very very shocked at you know kind of where the offense stands but what I what I am shocked is is or shocked with rather is Despite this, you know, they rank, I believe, in, in terms of offensive efficiency, coming into the Dallas game, they were 15th in the league. They were middle of the pack. And uh, after last night, you know, they're, I believe they're tied for 18th. But considering that, I mean, once this offense, you know, does get this, these shot creation issues kind of carved out, whether it's adding new, adding new pieces or whatever it may be, you know, they can become a better offense, especially they can cash in uh, in the half court. Like, I think they, they have the potential to, but they still need a lot of work as well. You want to know something that's a little bit surprising if you look at their numbers on Synergy for the transition stats is Lonnie Walker leads them in transition possessions, which that's not all that surprising. But he is their worst transition player on the roster. And that's sort of surprising to me. Is it not a little surprising to you for a guy who's an excellent athlete, who theoretically should be one of their best players in transition, 
literally ranks, and, l and let me get the exact ranking here. He is in the bottom fourth percentile in terms of <laughs> efficiency out of the transition offense. 0.64 points per possession. Really bad. Really, really bad. Is that something you think that might improve? Or is that something that, you know, he really honestly just isn't getting it? Man, no, I would love to see, I would love to hear his numbers from last year, but I would I would hope it improves. I mean, you would think it would. You would you would think he's not in the bottom fourth percentile as a, as a transition, you know, scorer here, transition athlete. I, I I would I would hope it improves, but that that also begs the question, uh if you have the numbers still, who was the who's the best uh transition player for the Spurs this year? So first, I guess I'll get to Lonnie Walker. Last year, he was just average. He ranked in the 42nd percentile. He had 1.08 points per possession out of transition offense. So, it, you know, it, it seems to suggest maybe this is just a slow start. And in terms of the best player for the Spurs is DeJounte Murray. He is 1.739 points per possession. He ranks in the top two percentile. So... Excellent. He's one of the best players. Another guy who's really good, Devin Vassell, ranks in the 93rd percentile. Derek White is in the 73rd percentile. The only players on the roster who are really bad so far, Lonnie Walker, who, of course, we, we said was in the bottom 4th percentile, and then Keldon Johnson as well, bottom 29th percentile, not doing too well in transition, even though the Spurs are the third best transition offense. Yeah, it's like it's like the other. It's like Dejounte, Devin, and Derek are really, really polished when it comes to this stuff. And the other two, like we've mentioned with with Keldon, like the reckless drives and stuff like that, how he kind of misses things. Like we mentioned earlier, he he missed an open Vassell in the corner in the fourth last night. But yeah, it, it's 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 relatively telling so far of where this team is at. I think it, a lot of surprises in terms of that because I would have never thought Lonnie Walker was bottom fourth percentile in transition offense. Yeah, unfortunately, he's been really bad, and we'll, we'll sort of keep track of stats as we continue to go through. We're going to be recording weekly, so we'll keep track of this. We'll revisit this at some point, and I think this is sort of a good closing point. So before we close things out, this is sort of your time to shine. I don't want to take any more time from you than I need to, so go ahead and plug anything you want to. You know, Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find all of your wonderful Spurs content and really just sports content in general. Yeah, yeah, everybody. So just follow me on Twitter at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Uh, I cover the Spurs for Pounding the Rock. I do Washington football team content for Rigo's Rag, Texas State sports stuff for Bobcats Insider. Uh, I have my own podcast where we talk about football and other cool stuff. So just holler at me. Thank you, Noah, for having me. Uh, you've done a lot of good things for me, brother, and I can't thank you enough. So thank you for having me, my man. Of course, and thanks again for joining me, and thanks for everyone who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits, and for everyone listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including Dame, who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team, so check our stuff out, but until next time, Spurs fans, take care.